Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're looking at Germany, where Chancellor Angela Merkel is under huge political pressure that some say might even collapse her government. And joining me on the line from Berlin is our correspondent Tobias Buck. And here in the studio, my colleague James Wilson. So Tobias, attempting to summarise, the pressure is coming from within the governing coalition, from Merkel's sister party, she's the CDU, from the CSU, who are very unhappy with refugee policy. Where are we at? And is it still really a big threat to the continuity of the government? Yes, I think it's certainly still a big threat. What happened was that Horst Seehofer, the interior minister and the leader of the CSU, which of course has been in an alliance with the CDU of Angela Merkel for the past 70 years, he was due to outline a new package of measures to make Germany's asylum regime tougher. And Angela Merkel blocked this due to one particular proposal, which was that Horst Seehofer wanted uh, to allow German police to send back refugees at the border in cases where they are already registered as refugees in another EU member state. Angela Merkel said, no, we can't have that because uh, it's a unilateral measure and I want a pan-European solution to the asylum crisis. And the CSU decided to stand its ground. They have now agreed a sort of truce that will last two weeks. The CSU has essentially given Angela Merkel two weeks to come up with bilateral deals with other EU member states that would allow Germany to turn back these refugees and send them back to the countries where they initially arrived. But if she can't get those deals done, then the CSU is still leaving open the possibility of introducing these measures without the Chancellor's permission, which would certainly precipitate a very severe government crisis. And If they were to do that, just to back up, and it seems to me, I don't know if you agree, Tobias, but unlikely that she will get this agreement at the European Council that will satisfy the CSU. If the CSU then say that's not enough, then are we looking at a crisis or new elections or the fall of Merkel, or is it just impossible to tell? Well, there are various scenarios. We don't know exactly what's going to happen because we don't know how successful Angela Merkel will be. Of course, the dream scenario for her is that she gets obviously not a pan-European EU-wide agreement, but enough bilateral deals with the key countries such as Greece, Italy, Bulgaria, where basically the refugees arrive, in which they would agree to accept returned refugees from Germany. If she gets that and the CSU says, okay, this is basically exactly what we wanted, then we have a crisis averted. I think it's more likely that at most Angela Merkel will get perhaps a sort of declaration of intentions, signs of goodwill from these countries, but no hard and fast agreements. If that is the case, then we have a very interesting decision ahead of us because Merkel has said there's no automatic consequence of this, that basically then the CDU and the CSU should sit down and decide what to do next, whereas Horst Seehofer and his Bavarian CSU have said, well, if there are no such deals, then we will unilaterally implement this new policy at the border. And if that happens, Angela Merkel would probably have to sack 
Horst Seehofer. He would take the CSU out of the government. And then the coalition government would be left with just Angela Merkel's CDU and the Social Democrats. And crucially, they are two seats short of a majority in parliament. But James, of course, one has to see this, I guess, all in a pan-European context. And the forces that are very worked up about immigration, want to take a much harder line on asylum and so on, seem to be gaining ground across Europe, particularly in Italy. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this dispute between the CDU and the CSU isn't happening in a vacuum, Gideon. I mean, one of the catalysts has been the new government in Italy, of course, which has taken a very hard line on immigration. We like to think that there's been a sort of lull in migration as a concern in Europe over the past year or two, but really it's not been the case at all. I mean, precisely concerns of a migration have led to populist governments in Italy, reinforced people like Viktor Orban in Hungary. And finding a pan-European solution, as clearly Chancellor Merkel does want, is going to be very difficult. As Tobias says, bilateral deals, there may be some hope, but it's really sort of a second best solution from her point of view. So the broader context here is that we're going to have a sort of migration summit, Jean-Claude Juncker's called one on Sunday. That will hopefully, I think, from the leading politician's point of view, take some of the temperature out of the situation and perhaps sort of uh, will have the makings of some fudge that's acceptable to the Germans and to other countries. But there are some strange alliances being formed over migration across Europe. In many ways, the German position on some of the key issues about migration, for example, how to resettle migrants across Europe using a quota system, isn't so far removed from the demands that Italy has been making. Italy, of course, being one of the countries where most migrants are arriving and one of the countries that feels most burdened by having to cope with the cost of processing the migrants. So it's very easy to see that they could be on the same side of some issues, but also at odds on other issues. So finding common cause is going to be very difficult. And when German politicians, in particular Tobias Horst Seehofer, look at this pan-European picture, is there any interest in what's now been termed a kind of Rome-Vienna-Berlin access, because Sebastian Kurtz, the new Austrian chancellor, the new young chancellor, is also a hard liner on migration. Are they thinking in those terms of really switching the German position? Well, I mean, I think when you analyse the situation of the CSU, part of this is a genuine substantial difference of opinion with Angela Merkel. And on this issue in particular, I think the CSU and Horst Seehofer and his allies inside the party are closer to the Austrian and perhaps even to the Italian position than they are to their own chancellor. But I think it would be wrong to ignore the electoral politics of this whole issue. I mean, it's no coincidence that this clash has come to the fore just a few months before Bavaria goes to the polls. So the CSU, of course, is a regional party from Bavaria. They're desperate to defend their absolute majority there. And they are under fierce attack from the far-right Alternative for Germany party. So they are very keen to show to their very conservative electoral base that they have their back, that they are trying to push the chancellor towards a more hardline position on migration, even if that means siding with other countries against their own chancellor. James, I guess the other great bugbear of German conservatives, the CSU, is this fear that Eurozone reform, an issue that again has never gone away, might lead to the dreaded transfer union in which German taxpayers' money is routinely transferred to poorer countries in southern Europe. And now we've seen Merkel and Emmanuel Macron, the French president, coming to some sort of deal, which although it explicitly says this is not a transfer union, is talking about a Eurozone budget. How significant a shift is that by Germany? Yes, I mean, this is the other great development of the week, of course, that Macron and Merkel met and decided to meet each other halfway or somewhat, some, somewhat approaching halfway in terms of Eurozone reform. Merkel has made the key concession, accepting for the first time something explicitly called a Eurozone budget, which is a significant step. 
It is feel at this point a very symbolic step. There's very little detail of what a Eurozone budget might entail or how it might be used, what sort of resources it would have. And I'm sure absolutely that Merkel's position on those issues is still far removed from the Macron position. But of course, for those opponents of Merkel within Germany, it's been another stick with which to beat the Chancellor this week already. The CSU has suggested rather plainly that Merkel made a deal with Macron to the detriment of Germany over Eurozone reform so that she can buy his help, if you like, on the migration issue. So linking those two very important totemic issues for the CSU, both migration and this idea that German resources, hard-earned taxpayers' money in Germany would be used to bail out more profligate countries. The substance of the Eurozone deal is, I think, still, as I say, very nebulous, but it's the symbolism of the accommodation that's been reached that presumably is irking Merkel's antagonists in Germany at the moment. And uh, Tobias, how much of a political issue is that likely to prove in Germany? Could it be as emotive as the migrants issue? I don't think anything is quite as emotive as the migrant issue here in Germany. I mean, it is true that very significant parts also of Merkel's own party are very sceptical of these Eurozone deals, the Chancellor striking with the French president. But I think the real wedge issue, the really burning issue here is the issue of migration, which is to some degree curious because, of course, we've seen a pretty dramatic fall in migration numbers to Germany. I mean, at the height of the crisis in 2015, more than 60,000 migrants arrived per month, and that's dropped to sort of 12,000, 13,000 this year. So what you really see here is the sort of afterburn clash from the 2015 decision taken by Merkel to accept more than a million migrants. And of course, that decision became internationally either, depending on your point of view, celebrated or notorious. And just this week, Merkel has been under attack on Twitter by none other than the US president, Donald Trump, for what he regards as her foolish decision to let all the refugees in. How has that affected German domestic politics? Is it damaging to Merkel or or helpful? Well, that's pretty much the only bit of good news that Merkel's had lately, that she's been sort of attacked so ferociously by the US president. He is deeply, deeply unpopular in Germany. He is loathed from left to right. Well, perhaps not quite to the right, but he's very widely disliked. And I think to see the chancellor being attacked by the US president on issues that are completely false. I mean, he claimed that crime is up in Germany when in truth, uh, Germany's crime rate is the lowest in three decades So I think that, if anything, helps her and helps perhaps restore a little bit of this halo that she used to have of sort of leader of the free world and the only sort of centrist politician left standing. So I think that's certainly a boon to her. Just on that, though, Tobias, I mean, you say almost everybody. Is there any link intellectually or even in terms of consultation between the AFD and the Trump administration? The alternative for Deutschland, that's the populist right-wing party. Not that I know of. I mean, they clearly try to echo some of the criticism that Donald Trump makes. For example, the new U.S. ambassador to Berlin, who's stoked a fair bit of controversy since his arrival here. I think he's made clear that he has no sympathies for the AFD. So, no, I don't think there's any collusion, so to speak, between the AFD and the Trump administration. But where they do strike a very similar tone is in their criticism of the chancellor, in particular on the migration issue. 
And finally, James, I mean, we've got it maybe into a habit of describing European councils as crucial, uh, make or break, etc. But it does seem that this one that's coming up next week is vital for Germany and for the whole of Europe with the migrant issue on the table, with the Eurozone reform, and of course, how could we forget in London, Brexit? We can't forget it, indeed. It's always seemed that this summit was heading towards being a more than usually important one, Gideon. Principally, I think the intention first was because of Eurozone reform and the idea that France and Germany would finally get their act together to reach some deal that then the rest of the Eurozone would buy into. I mean, clearly, Eurozone reform is one of the hangovers from the financial crisis, never really solved in many issues. And the Italian situation and the worries over, you know, brief market flurry of interest in Italy, when the new populist government took over in Rome, made that seem much more consequential. So Eurozone reform has always seemed an issue. Now, of course, migration is very firmly on the table. Brexit, as you say. And let's not forget issues such as the budget. Uh, EU budget is under discussion for the next seven-year period after Brexit, the first time that they'll have to have a budget without the UK for four decades. So that's a key issue where there are certain people who would like to link budget discussions to observance of other EU rules, such as the rule of law, which sucks countries such as Poland into a dispute with Brussels. So there are many different strands. It's unlikely that in the space of 24 hours in Brussels, all these are going to be sorted out. But it does make this a more than usually toxic and potentially uh, decisive gathering. Okay, with that, we'll leave it there for now. Thank you very much indeed to James Wilson here in the studio in London and to Tobias Buck in Berlin. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.